Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 18 of the Three Course Politics Podcast. I'm Hills. And I'm Josh. And we have a very, very intense episode for you today. Uh, so the appetizer for today is going to be the Iowa caucus results and what they mean. The entree is going to be the, Demo- the Democratic debate uh, that happened on Friday. And then New Hampshire, which is on Tuesday. The side dish is what's a caucus and what the hell. And dessert, we are going to do a fun little game and we are going to uh, forecast what kind of or who the VP choices for each of the Democratic uh, nominees who are on the debate stage are. Just because, you know, these people who are on the debate stage probably have a higher chance of being the nominee than someone who wasn't on the stage. So um, also we're going to include Bloomberg because that's the one exception. Hills, are you saying that Tulsi Gabbard doesn't have a chance to win the nomination? I'm not saying she doesn't, <laughs> but I'm saying she doesn't. Yeah, I'm saying she does not as well. So Yeah. Uh, again, uh, the, we always say this each episode, are you registered to vote? Uh, you're not sure, go to vote.org. Please register to vote if you are not registered to vote, because this is the year where you need to be registered so you can vote against Trump and vote for all the Democrats. So please register to vote. And if you're not sure, just register again because it doesn't matter. It, they'll just, your registration will be fine anyway. So um, come, back to, come back to this pod when you have done that. So I actually, I, uh, further, I was going to say, Hills, I actually just uh, checked to register to see if I was registered to vote this morning. And I did it last week. I, did, I was checking every week to make sure that I am registered because you never know. The GOP wants to clean all of the voters off. So you can check every week. It only takes about two minutes. So, Well, I'm sure the Board of Elections, when you send in your registration every week, are going to be like, this guy, again, he's registered already. And they're going to say, voter fraud. <laughs> voter fraud so there's a video of trump um trump's speech and someone wrote an email an emo slash alternative rock song over uh him talking and we'll put it in the show notes and it is so funny it's gonna if you have a couple of minutes in your day and you want to laugh please listen to that oh, it's hysterical but anyways it's, moving yeah, on without further for, yeah without further ado uh, Josh has a very, very good quiz question for you. All right. So here is your pre-dinner shot. The question is, could Barack Obama be on the ticket for the 2020 Dem nominee? Okay, so could he be the vice presidential candidate for whoever the 2020 Dem nominee is? Obama was president, obviously, in 2008 and 2012. So the question is, can he be on the ticket for whoever the 2020 Dem nominee is? You will find out that answer at the end of the show, or if you're super eager, you can look it up now. Please be the, have the answer be yes. Please. <laughs> I need him on the ticket every year. Well, you're going to have to wait till the end of the podcast to get your answer. Yeah, don't look it up. It's going to be good. (laughs) And your appetizer is coming up next. Welcome to episode 18's appetizer, which is all about the Iowa shit show. (laughs) 
So uh, we had a very, very, this was a, pack, a packed week of political events. So Josh uh, so beautifully explained the, the caucus primary style and the primary and all about delegates in episode 17. So if you have questions about the Democratic primary, how many delegates are needed to win, please go to episode 17. Josh did a great job. Thank you. So, <clears throat> yeah, you're very welcome. And the Iowa caucus, so the Iowa caucus was on February 3rd, and it awarded 41 delegates. So let's take, let's take you through what happened first. Who won the Iowa caucus? No one really knows anymore. <laughs> well, I'll get to that. In. <laughs> Who won? It is now a week afterwards, and we still have no idea. And the people in charge still don't have any idea. Well, here here are the prime here are the results so far, and you're gonna we'll explain what we mean. So Pete Buttigieg uh, got twenty six point two percent, which equivalents which is equivalent to thirteen delegates. Bernie Sanders got twenty six point one percent. So they're basically tied. And he got the equivalent of 12 delegates. Elizabeth Warren got 18%, came in third, and got eight delegates. Joe Biden came in fourth uh, with, uh, uh, I'm sorry, with 15.8% and got six delegates. Amy Klobuchar came in fifth with 12.3% of the vote with the equivalent of one delegate. Andrew Yang came, <laughs> got 1% of the Iowa caucus vote and got zero delegates. Tom Steyer, which did even worse than Andrew Yang, got 0.3% of delegates, which equivalent, of, of the vote, which equivalent to zero delegates. So these are the results released right now. And, he'll, and if, yeah. if you do some math really quick, it adds up to 40. So there's still one delegate out there that uh, has yet to be given to one of the candidates. Uh, it could very easily go to Sanders or Buttigieg. The expectation is that it's going to go to Sanders because it's a satellite uh, caucus, which basically just means that people uh, didn't have the chance to go to a major city. They went to a much, much smaller rural, kind of like off, like away from Iowa caucus thing. Uh, and those usually went for Sanders. So the expectation is that Sanders will get 13 um, but that one delegate is still out there. The one to look out for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and the satellite caucuses were meant to get more people involved in the caucuses. And the caucuses were just about the same as 2016, which just with a bit over 200,000 people in Iowa taking part in the caucus. So uh, actually a really small number of the population, to be honest with you. So why do we? Why are we still confused about who won? We clearly stated it. So uh, this this is a bit of a longer story. This comes after the Iowa caucus tried a new system this year, and if you haven't heard, this system went terribly. And terribly is, I think, the understatement of how bad it was. This was like the biggest dumpster fire in the history of modern politics uh, and primary systems. This was so so bad. So the Iowa caucus wanted to report the first and second alignment numbers. So in a caucus, which we'll explain to you in a bit, there's multiple stages in a caucus where you have your first choice and your second choice. And if your first choice isn't viable because there's not enough support, you go towards your second choice. They never reported on that first choice before, but they tried to do it this year. Um, And it hadn't been done before. A company called Shadow, can't make this stuff up, called Shadow, uh, which doesn't mean the company's a bad company. It just, they chose a stupid name. (laughs) They made an app to help do this because we're in 2020 and why don't you have an app to help and technology to help you? But it didn't work the night of and it just just completely crashed the night of, which was exactly what you wanted 
in an app. Uh, and they probably had less people on the phone lines because the phone lines were jammed all night because everyone started to call in instead of using this app. And I'm assuming they hired less people to man the phones because they had this app, which is mistake probably number 50 of what they did. Uh, and also some Trumpers, uh, some Trump people found a number to call and started to jam up the lines to, to screw around with everything too. That's what you get though. Above all, all... All, all the said and done, because you have people all across the state writing down things in pen and pencil, the data was extremely inconsistent. So the Iowa Democratic Party had to manually go through each of the numbers from all of the different precincts, from all the different caucuses, everywhere around the state of Iowa's 99 counties. Oh my God. And during the night of, if you watched any cable news or any news network, they were no results because the Iowa Democratic Party could not verify that the results were really true. And there are still uh, lots of data issues, and there is now going to be a re-canvas of all of these numbers. I don't expect the numbers to change that much, but you may see some shift in certain percentages, but I think that the numbers that we gave you about the where everyone got seems pretty consistent, but still, it's not a final tally because nothing worked. My favorite part of last night or of Monday was going between CNN and MSNBC and the, uh, the, the, you know, the little headline at the bottom going from, uh, it was like, uh, polls, uh, it was like, uh, exit polls, polls closing, uh, there was like, like waiting on results. And then it was, uh, Results not expected soon. <laughs> just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And man, does cable news love just fill airtime with just absolutely nothing? I can't tell you how many times uh, Rachel Maddow went to Steve Kornacki, <laughs> being like, "What are we seeing, Steve?" And he was just saying the same stuff over and over and over again. And Steve Kornacki's a smart guy he too. Is. He knows his numbers. He knows his numbers and. So this was a huge, huge failure. It just is so indicative of the fact that no one was really managing this process. So let's let's go into why does this matter for a little bit. It was a complete shit show. A complete. This is like the worst case scenario of anything ever. Like this is like your whole, you have a big parade or event coming up and nothing goes right. So there was clearly no testing or backup plan to be had. Because if there was actual real testing of an app with lots of volume on it at all times, like if you go to Instagram or Facebook, sometimes they crash, but usually it's not because all the people are using it. But this app clearly had no testing. And it is beyond me why you wouldn't, and if it had testing, it would have worked. So there you can't, no one can say that, oh, we tested it, but we didn't think about this. It's like there was no one around to work on issues. Like it just clearly was not thought out. And there was no backup plan. Uh, it also shows the limits, the limit of a caucus system. Only three U.S. states have a caucus this year, along with uh, a few other island territories. Um, and it takes so, so long. I remember looking at Twitter that night and seeing kids sleeping on the floor because it was past their bedtime. <laughs> and their parents, they couldn't, you know, who are they going to do, hire a babysitter? But they needed to bring their kids along. Mm-hmm. And so this is, a caucus is really not family-oriented in this 2020 in 2020 um so it took so long and it's obviously unreliable just by even trying to show a little bit more data which we should have possible at this day and age 
The lack of results, so this is one of the key things. The lack of results stunted the impact for Pete and Bernie a bit, uh, but it also helped underperformers by not having their lo- their loss plastered over the news. So here's what I mean by that. And um, Josh, I'll get your thoughts on this in a second. Uh, the fact that there wasn't a clear winner the night of, usually it's a really big triumph for the two, the top two, the top three. If it's really close, you know, the, the top people. And it's really like a really big momentum because it's going to be over the news everywhere. But the fact that we didn't have the results until two or three days later, people started not to care. It didn't have a big of an impact as it would. But on the flip side, the people who came in fifth and fourth, Biden and Klobuchar, didn't get completely smattered with how bad their losses because, again, it wasn't all over cable news because we didn't have the, the information right away. Yeah. Josh, what um, do you think about that? I think the other thing helps is that, it was, you know, as you said, it was really bad for the Dems, but it was unfortunately really good for Donald Trump. Um, you know, yeah, that's true. This gave him a chance to basically tell Iowa, which is supposed to be a swing state potentially, where we're hopefully going to challenge in the Senate there with Joni Ernst. Uh, and hopefully going to pick up some, you know, some seats in the House. Gave them a chance to like, look, here's what the Dems are doing. Here's how how badly their system failed. Why would you trust them? Come, you know, come back to my side. You know, I didn't have this happen. The GOP hasn't had this happen. Blah, 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 blah. And it's not the Democratic Party's fault. I mean, it's their fault for using a, a stupid app and not testing it out. But, you know, it just, it's very, very depressing. And, you know, it... I think this is kind of the end of the Iowa caucus. I don't foresee at least them going first uh, next year. Um, and we'll see what happens. But it was really not good uh, for, the, for, for the Democratic Party across the board. And unfortunately, it was a very strong night for uh, President Trump. Yeah, it, it, that, it clearly was because the lack of a contrast really, as you said, really helped him. And, you know, why would you vote for the Democrats who... <laughs> don't know what the hell they're doing yep uh what so what else why does this matter also uh it was bad for klobuchar biden and a little bit less so warren they vastly underperformed um all across iowa biden was the former vice president of the united states and he got tr- killed in the rural and urban areas of iowa i mean there were so many er- as as shown by his his fourth place finish like He's supposed to be, he was supposed to be viable everywhere. And it clearly showed that Pete won the hearts of the rural and many parts of, and also Bernie, I'm not going to forget him, but they really, uh, Klobuchar and Biden really had a bad night. Um, it's also extremely bad for Yang and Steyer. The fact that the, you know, the Yang gang got 1% just shows that his support, you know, maybe, maybe he had a, enough people, but his support was spread out and thin. Because the fact that he only got 1% means that Yang was not viable in many different parts of the state, along with Steyer. So it just shows that they had very little organization uh, in their campaigns. Um, and, you know, uh, Pete and Bernie, on the flip side, uh, had everything right. Bernie has a real shot of winning this nomination right now. Both uh, clearly show to have huge organizations that they know what they're doing. They know how to inspire a large number of voters. Uh, Pete and Bernie won in Trump areas and also have the best head-to-head with Trump in Iowa. Pete showed that he performed well with white voters, which is Iowa's very heavy with. And he demonstrated because he he won all these rural counties. I mean, there's nothing, no way, no ways about that. I mean, 
there was a map that we can also put in the show notes uh, of Pete versus Bernie and their support around country counties in Iowa. And, you know, Pete swept all those small rural counties. Yeah. No ways about that. No. Yeah, there really isn't. Um, and oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, um, I think there was, I think Pete kind of overperformed in Iowa. You know, you looked at the Iowa um, numbers and looked like he was going to be maybe third, maybe fourth, outside chance of second. Um, but, you know, he may end up winning the whole thing and getting the most delegates. And, you know, that's very, very good for him. Uh, he still has a challenge that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and for Biden, it really was bad for him, not just numbers wise, but also. His big argument is I'm supposed to be the guy that's going to beat Donald Trump, and he has this kind of a showing it in Iowa. It's not good for him. That is exactly, exactly right. And so, you know, what what happens going forward? New Hampshire uh, is big, will likely be good for Pete and Bernie because they won. They have a really big momentum there. The field will definitely winnow down after South Carolina. Uh, Again, Josh, you said this beautifully you can foresee an end to the caucus system here. Why not rank choice voter primary? We have rank choice voting, which is <laughs> it's almost the same as a caucus. Uh, it's basically the same thing, and it works, and multiple states are starting to do it. Uh, it just, but, And I'm sure that's what we may turn into, to be honest with you. And maybe Iowa and New Hampshire can go on the same day, so they both kind of get that first in the nation thing, and like they, but there's no caucus anymore, so... Uh, the Dems need to get it together. I, I don't know where the DNC is. I know every state party is separate from the DNC. Like the DNC is the overarching, but every state party is run differently. But I don't know. You got to get it together. You got to make sure all these states have a backup plan and a way that they're going to execute their primary at, or caucus. I mean, this was, I mean, I'm not going to play blame to, to Tom Perez all that much, but also like, why wasn't anyone overseeing this? And if someone was overseeing this, they need to be fired. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, everything that you said, Hills, makes complete sense. And, <clears throat> you know, Dems really got to get together and have a strong showing in uh, New Hampshire. So, um, yeah, you know, Iowa had one job, not to, me- not to mess it up. And not only did they not do their job, but it's like they, you know, <laughs> not only did they not do their job, they messed up everyone else's job as well. So uh, New Hampshire has a lot of work to do, and hopefully things run smoother on a Tuesday night. The last thing we want to do is be tuning in on Tuesday night, be ready, have our popcorn ready, and and then they say, we have no results for New Hampshire. Oh, no. <laughs> so polls close in New Hampshire by 7 if I don't have any kind of results by 9 p.m., my TV's going right out the window. <laughs> uh, and then you're going to charge the ca- uh, the campaigns for that expense. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to have that, that billionaire, uh, Tom Steyer, pay for my, my new TV. So. And you know, he should at that point. He really should. <laughs> uh, well, that leads us into a great uh, topic of our entree. All right, and so you have a two-part entree. The first part is Hills and I are going to go through the seven uh, candidates that were on the stage on Friday and give a little 
uh, preview and a review of how each of them did. And then we're going to give our New Hampshire predictions. So um, we'll start with uh, the Yang Gang. The Yang Gang on Friday. The way this will work is I'll go first, and then I'll ask Hills for his thoughts. And uh, we'll go from there. So Andrew Yang, he's back. He did not make the previous debate before uh, Iowa, and uh, he was able to make this debate. And you know what? It was more of the same from Andrew Yang. He's not going to talk a whole lot. He's a very charismatic person. Uh, you know, he has his group of loyal followers. He's going to talk about that $1,000. He's going to find some way to transition into $1,000. But when it comes to the big things like healthcare, climate change, gun violence, uh, you know, how to get, get stuff through Congress, why you're best prepared to beat Donald Trump. Uh, the moderator doesn't call on Andrew Yang, and uh, he doesn't really have a chance to get back to it. You know, he had a very poor showing in Iowa. I don't foresee him having a strong showing in New Hampshire. I think, unfortunately, the Yang gang may come to a close unless he's able to, uh, you know, put together some serious numbers in New Hampshire. Hills, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with all of that. I just... Andrew Yang has some really interesting ideas, but on the debate stage, he is just very, he just doesn't communicate why I should vote for him. He makes statements rather than inspiration, to, to me at least. And I really think he could benefit some, from, from, from some stronger debate prep of why should I vote for Yang rather than any of the other more mainstream candidates. And I don't think he presents itself on, on the stage. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. So, <clears throat> I like Andrew Yang. You know, I think he's a cool guy. I think he's charismatic. Uh, he definitely has done enough to earn himself some kind of position in whoever the presidential uh, no nominee is in in their cabinet. But, uh, you know, I don't think 2020 is going to be the year for Yang. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think whoever has to, you're, you're right. I think whoever has to, whoever is a nominee has to fold Yang in somehow. He could be a great somehow. Secretary of Commerce or Labor mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that. I think he's he's got a future for sure, but I think as a candidate, he needs to improve. Yep. Agreed. Oh, boy. Tom Steyer, the man who's going to pay for my t television on Tuesday. Does um, he know that? <laughs> he better. Uh, Tom... Tom Steyer, oh, man, I don't even know where to begin with him. Um, I do not like Tom Steyer. <laughs> you know, on the debate on Friday, he just, you know, he either loved everybody or he hated everybody or, you know, he kind of loved them. Um, he doesn't like Trump. He made, he made that very clear, so good on you, Tom. Um, but I feel like Tom is constantly pandering. He's, he's really trying to play up the African-American vote. Um, there was some poll, it's got to be an outlier, that had him at like 20% in South Carolina. That just seems ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, it makes no sense. And, you know, <laughs> whenever anyone asks him a question about why he should be, why he has the experience or whatever, he has no good answer. You know, everything is, well, I agree with Pete, or I agree with, with Bernie, and now... You know, I'm having such a good time up here. We're all, they're all my friends. They're all better than, than Trump. I'm going to find you, Biden. I want to attack you on this. I'm going to, you know, put my finger at you. And it's just, 
it's just unnecessary. And it's just, he's trying so hard. And, you know, thank God he didn't look into my soul this time. He actually was looking, like, at the other candidates. But it can't take you eight different debates to figure out that you shouldn't look directly into my soul every time that you're speaking. (laughs) Yeah, I... (laughs) I feel like Steyer almost played, um, and let me explain this, Steyer almost played the Kamala Harris role of this debate. And what I mean by that is Kamala Harris, when she was on the stage, did a lot of like, hey, everybody, we need to beat Trump. Remember that? Like, stop complaining between each other. And it didn't really work for her because she stopped talking about why people needed to vote for her. And I think Steyer, Mm -hmm. yeah, I saw that poll with with Steyer at like 20% South Carolina. That's crazy. But I feel like Steyer is doing almost the same thing. Like Steyer sometimes gives his opinions on things, but then he goes and kind of like does an overarching, like we need to come together and beat Trump. Like, I guess we all know that, but we're trying to decide here who's going to be the nominee. And right. Steyer has not given me a very like cohesive answer of why I should vote for him other than the other candidates on stage. Again, they're missing the point of these debates. The points of the debates are you can criticize your opponent on what they you know, where their stance is, but you also have to go this stuff further and say why you are better and why your plans would be better for right. the person. And almost none of the candidates, with the exception of a few, did that. And I don't understand yeah. what his strategy there was. Yeah, it, it literally makes no sense. And, you know, I'd like to say that after South Carolina, he'll be out of there, but he's got the money to keep himself going for as long as he wants. So hopefully... He does what's good for the party and drops out and then gives us um, his money so we can go beat Trump. <laughs> and maybe he, he needs to be an ambassador somewhere. We really need his money. He's got so much money. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a lot of money. Like, Steyer is is not as much of a billionaire as Bloomberg is, but he's, a, he's like one of the largest donors in the Democratic Party. So we need his money. Yeah. Just, just to be clear, Tom Steyer is worth over a billion dollars, like like well over a billion dollars. That's it? That's not a lot of money. I thought he was worth I more. It's like, it's like it, 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 he, it, it, I think his net worth is like $2 billion or something, which isn't a lot for, you know, some cats up there, but still $2 billion. It's pretty unbelievable. Um, all right, Warren. Um, Elizabeth Warren, I thought, for much of the debate, she was absent. Um, I really feel like she needed, you know, she, there was there was a lane she could have taken where she was the comeback candidate in Iowa. I know she finished in a distant third, but there were some polls that had her outside the top five. And suddenly, you know, she has more delegates than Biden. She has more delegates than Klobuchar. And there's a, a way for her, Ford, to be like, hey, you know, I'm getting my, my campaign back, you know, we're doing this and that. And it just, you know, nothing that she said really, you know, it's like she was going back to this, to, to her same old stuff, you know, the 2% wealth tax, the, what a president can do all by herself. And I love, I love, I love being able to say that it felt like the same old, same old. And I was really hoping that Warren was going to get on the offensive and she didn't really, she, 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 she did once on Pete. But that was about it. And it was just a very, uninspiring debate performance from Warren. You know, it wasn't terrible. She was fine, but it's not anything that I was putting her to kind of build off of. 
as uh, after a what was what I consider to be a rather strong Iowa performance, given where her campaign thought she was going to finish. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I agree with you on that. Uh, that her campaign finished stronger than I thought it was going to do as well. But in terms of the debate, I couldn't agree more with you. I I don't. I, Warren was my favorite at one point, and I'm not sure what happened to her. I don't know what happened. It's ever since that that Medicare for all wealth tax part a couple months ago her campaign something changed her communication strategy changed but she's not saying anything up there that we haven't heard already and that makes me who let's say i'm a voter in new hampshire right and i've already really had my choices she didn't say anything on that stage that makes me rethink my first choice and it's a primary so you get one choice so i don't know what's going on with her campaign but she, if she doesn't come in second in New Hampshire, what, if she can't win in New Hampshire, which is pretty close to Matt, which is right next to Massachusetts, how is she going to win anywhere else in this country? So it could be the right. end of Warren pretty soon. Yeah, depending on where she finishes in New Hampshire, it could definitely be the end for her. Um, so I think she definitely needs a second place finish. I don't think a third place finish is bad for her necessarily, but anything below third is, you know, Warren is just, it's not good for her. Let's talk about Amy Klobuchar, number four. Um, I thought Klobuchar had, by far, her best debate. I think she probably won that last debate. Um, the Klobuchar surge is real, Hills. It's, it's starting to shake some people. Um, you know, everyone knew kind of how smart she was. But in, in a crowded field of 10, 11 people, and she's only getting a few minutes, it didn't really work. I think she's had a couple of really strong debate performances. Um, she clearly is very, very intelligent. She's painting herself as a, as a basically an alternative to the Warren or the Sanders ca- uh, campaign. And she's really turning it on. I just think it's, it's probably too little too late. I think she had she started her campaign like this, then she would be in a much stronger position. She may be, you know, in that Warren position of third. I mean, if she had finished third in Iowa, that would have been unbelievable, and it was possible. But fifth, getting one delegate, you know, maybe she surprises some people in New Hampshire. But um, I really, really like her. I think she's got a good shot at being a VP, which we'll talk about later. Um but I, you know, I just think it's a, a little bit too, it's a, it's a little too much, a little too late um, at this point in the campaign. Uh, you, you can't really be fighting for a fifth or a sixth spot in these states and really have a expectation that you're going to do well. Um, she needs a big night on Tuesday um, and we'll see where what happens. But definitely, you know, she's definitely surging. The question really is, can she surge at the right time now, or is it too late? Amy Klobuchar definitely won this debate. This was the Amy Klobuchar debate. And uh, you hit on a lot of these these really good points about about Amy. Uh, her closing statement, uh, she really doesn't like Pete Buttigieg. I think she sees, she sees him as a good candidate in terms of the charisma he brings. But in terms of the experience, she probably just sees him as such an annoyance that this this kid can flaunt up to the debate stage and just take away this this primary. She probably hates it, which I can I can see. <laughs> I can see where she's coming from. Um, but she 
out of all the candidates on the stage, did exactly what you're supposed to do in a debate. You can you can criticize your opponents. That's what the debate's about. But she also made it about why she's the best candidate. She made it about what she brings to the table, why she's the best. She did it in a coherent manner. She did it in a concise manner. Her closing statement was beautifully done. Um, her it a lot of the times they just it was so logical. It made so much sense. And you're right. It, where was this candidate months ago? And it, sometimes it takes time for a person to develop into a better candidate. But at this point, it's it's too late. And you know, let's think about the states coming up. You have Nevada, you have, and South Carolina coming up next. And I doubt that both those states will vote for a senator from Minnesota. And right. you also have Super Tuesday coming up, where you're going to have a lot of different states. But honestly, I think it's too little, too late, um, as you said. And I, if she does rise in the polls, I think it's going to come at the expense of Biden. And here's yep. why. Because I'm not sure that anyone supporting Warren or Bernie will go to Klobuchar unless they're not really firm supporters. They just kind of like what they hear. The other of the moderate lane or quote moderate lane, you have Buttigieg, which I think people who are into Buttigieg won't be shook out of Buttigieg so, so fast. It's going to come out of the Biden support, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know where else it comes from except for Biden. And and Amy Klobuchar presents a really big threat to Biden along with Buttigieg. So Klobuchar did a really, really great job at this debate. Made me want to be like, huh, Amy, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Amy. Yeah. Maybe Amy. There you go. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I would be curious to see, you know, if she drops out uh, who she throws her support behind. Because it seems unlikely that she would throw her support behind Buttigieg. But then again, lots of her people um, that uh, in, in Iowa, at least, once she, if she was not viable, they went to Buttigieg. So we'll see. But speaking of Mayor Pete, uh, Mayor Pete, he was the target of a lot of people last night. A lot of both moderators, <laughs> both uh, other candidates. Um, you know, for the most part, I really think that he handled himself. The one place where he didn't was when the moderator pressed him on what was going on with African Americans in his hometown, and he tried to give some spin answer, and she and she, the moderator really held her, held his feet to the fire, and you know he got a little burnt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete, Pete walked away from that with some bruises, uh, but that's but you know it's. It's very interesting because that's what happens when you're the front runner. You you kind of you know you get beat up a little bit, and the important thing is that even if you have some bad moments, you also have some good moments that can keep people wanting, uh, keep people interested in your campaign and, and you as a candidate. I think he did that. Um, it definitely wasn't his strongest performance. He definitely did not win the debate. We talked about Klobuchar winning the debate, but I thought you know that one moment aside. I thought he had he did have a pretty good debate, and he had some answers for people who said "Why you?" which a lot of other candidates don't have. Um, I think the Pete train is going to keep on rolling. It'll be very interesting to see how he does in New Hampshire. I think, you know, really before Iowa, Pete was looking at at a very, you know, maybe a fourth or fifth place finish in, in New Hampshire. Now I think he's probably looking at a second place finish. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, he definitely got the surge from Iowa, and I totally agree with you. He had a fantastic debate up to the point of when the moderators pressed him on, uh, you know, the incarceration rate uh, in 
uh, of black of black and brown citizens in South Bend, and he just he didn't have an answer for that, and it was really clear he wasn't prepared to answer that. And this is the big thing about Pete. I really like Pete's charisma. I think Pete is a good candidate in the sense of what a political candidate should be. He's helpful. He's inspiring. He's eloquent, right? But then you have this thing where the Democratic Party, at least the people who vote in the Democratic Party, and if we're going to win in 2020, we need uh, African-American and Hispanic-American support. We need we need support from people of color. We cannot win without that. And polls have shown Pete is not doing that well with them. And that is the thing that's, re- other than the experiencing, that is holding me back. Um, because if we can't get those people out to vote, Trump is going to smash us. He will. He will just smash us. And the fact that he didn't have a good answer for this, maybe he just wasn't pressed. But that's really, that's a bit concerning. Um, and, and you know, he's only going to get hit more because he's the front, front runner now. So this is where I think is a really good, uh, really good time to see how Pete responds and how he does as a candidate under pressure. Because this is his time to really show voters. And I think if he cracks under pressure a bit, you might see the support from him wane and go back to Klobuchar and Biden. Yeah, it's it's very possible. And, you know, we'll see how he does. I still think he'll do well in New Hampshire. And then really, you know, if he, if he beats expectations in New Hampshire, then that could surge him on to, you know, Nevada and South Carolina. But I think Nevada will be a big tell for him. Because Nevada is very diverse, at least more diverse than New Hampshire and Iowa. Um, it'd be very interesting to see where his support get, is in uh, Nevada. Yeah. So. Yeah, and here, here are the two questions that Pete needs to answer for I think the rest of the Democrats uh, for, to vote for him. One, he needs to make a more compelling case of why people who should vote for him as a small town mayor than someone who has more national experience. He needs to make that case. He needs to be make it even stronger. Second, he needs to find a way to get African-American support. And if he can't do either of those things, I don't think he's going to win. Yeah, I, I think his, his response for why you should vote for him is pretty clear, though. He's got experience as a, as a war vet. You know, he's um, he, he has this whole vision for, 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 for the future and about, you know, rising to our time and not going back to the ways of the past. And I think he has a very compelling message for why him. But as you hit on Hills, his biggest concern is African-Americans and voters of color. Because you're absolutely right. If, if, you know, if he can't bring them out in large numbers, because Hillary Clinton did not bring them out in large numbers. I'm not saying that's the only reason she lost, but it definitely didn't help. And we can't have a repeat of that in 2020. So we got to have a candidate that does very, very well with African-Americans and voters of color. Yeah, I think maybe the, the Pete thing that I'm looking for is like, why should I trust Pete with that 3 a.m. phone call over Biden? Like, yeah, like, I don't know, maybe I just need a little bit more. Maybe I mean, he has answered it. But like, maybe I just need a little bit more be like, hey, all you guys who have qualms, like you like me, but you're really not sure about my, my experience and about handle big issues. Let me tell you why. Uh, I I would ask for your vote. I don't know. Something maybe more explicit would help me. He, he needs to go after me as a voter. Me, only me. <laughs> well, you are open for for business, so come on in. Um, come on in. Let's talk about a voter hills that uh, you were all for, and then have recently lost faith in. And that is Joe Biden. Um, 
Joe Biden, you know, he had a, I think his debate was fine. It was, it was fine. He had some great moments. He had some great answers. Uh, and then he had some more moments where you're just like, Biden, what the hell are you talking about? Um, you know, he clearly went after Bernie and he went after uh, B- uh, Buttigieg, um, his two main competitors. You know, he openly admitted that he didn't do well in, in Iowa and he kind of openly admitted he, he wasn't going to do well in New Hampshire, which is strange. Um, you know, he knew he was going to get attacked for his vote in the Iraq war. He still gave a good answer like he did in Iowa. Um, I think the big thing for people, for Biden, that, you know, it's two things. And Hills, you, you've talked talked on this. It's just, where's the inspiration? You know, people used to go to uh, an Obama rally and you would see, you know, Obama and he would rev you up and you'd be fired up and ready to go. That was his whole thing, right? And you go to a Biden thing expecting something similar and he's just, he's not, he's not Obama, obviously. And it's tough for people, I think, because they want to go and be inspired and then they end up not being inspired. And the second thing is, I think, you know, he's so inconsistent. He'll have a great moment. I don't know if you saw this town hall thing, but there's a town hall thing that they did before the debate. I think it was like Wednesday and Thursday or, yeah, I think it was Wednesday, Thursday. And Biden had this great response about how he stuttered as a child. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, people were moved. People were in tears. There was a woman in New Hampshire that was crying because his answer was so genuine. And, you know, people thought maybe this is the moment. This will get Biden going. And then he goes and he's inconsistent in his debate performances. And, you know, he did have a campaign shakeup. Maybe that will, uh, you know, kind of help him paint his picture, but he really needs, I mean, second or third in New Hampshire, third at the, at the very least, but anything below that in New Hampshire, it's going to really raise some questions. And that firewall of support that he has among African-Americans in South Carolina could become in jeopardy and they could move to a Bernie or even a Pete, or I mean, I guess even a Steyer, uh, you know, if he continues to have poor de- debate, uh, debate and uh, primary performances. I mean, South Carolina for him can't come soon enough. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that town hall and I was I was inspired too about he is finally doing what he needed to He needs to do as a candidate. I mean, <laughs> where was this Biden three months ago, four months ago? It's just it's infuriating because this was his primary to lose. People were amped for Biden to get in. And I think, I mean, yeah, he would have had a, a, a struggle with, with Bernie. But the whole reason Pete is surging right now is because people were disappointed with Biden's performances. And you're right. On that debate stage, he had some really good lines and some really not so great times. But it was an overall fine performance if I was watching him for the first time. Like, But, you know, there's right. also some things about maybe it's just him as a candidate. Like, he's not getting his messaging right. He has this really really hard-hitting ad against Pete um, that just went up the other day, um, contrasting Biden doing some really significant things and Pete handling small-town mayor things and how it shows that, like, he's just not cut out. Pete's not cut out for the White House. But, like, where is this candidate uh, months ago? Like, we needed this a while ago, and he's finally starting to get his messaging out. So Biden is not done yet, but he significantly hurt himself. This is all his fault. Honestly, the reason why Bloomberg's in the race, the reason why Pete's in the race, 
It's all because yep. they saw how weak Biden was and they were and they saw that they can take his lane. And until Biden starts revving up young voters and maybe you could do this with a VP pick, he needs to get people out. He needs to get people fired up and emotionally connected to him. And he's start, finally starting to do that, which is good for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just the ad hills where he basically was saying that Pete is not Obama. Um, maybe it was an ad of it said it starts with we could put this put another thing in the show notes. Um, <laughs> and it's like Biden Biden was there for the Affordable Health Care Act. And then it goes to like childish oh, okay. music. And it's like Pete helped make lights under a bridge. And right. which which I think is perfectly fair for him to say. But yeah. but like, come on, like where the whole reason people want to vote for Biden is because he's a steady hand. He knows what he's doing. But finally, he's getting around to saying that. Yeah, took him long, long enough. And, you know, I think people keep waiting. Here's the best way to describe Biden, I think, is, you know, I still like Biden. If the if the primary in in Maryland were tomorrow, you know I'm probably voting for for Biden. But every time that he opens his mouth in the primary, you know, and says something, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that wasn't terrible, right? That was fine. He was fine. That was fine, right? And I'll text tales. I'll go. That was fine, right? Biden was fine, right? And there's just so much anxiety about Biden, <laughs> and you know. I think I think it's kind of unfair for him for a, a point because people know or people feel like he can beat Trump, right? And when Biden doesn't come off as being the perfect candidate, everyone's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, like this is it, like you know, it's fine, right? Like he's gonna be fine, right?" And it's like, give it a little bit of time, you know. He does need, you know, he's not Obama, right? But as you said, Hills, his problem was. He kind of went into this primary thinking, oh, I've got it in the bag. And he wasn't playing to win. He was playing not to lose. And it seems like finally with this new ad that he that, that come out, he's uh, finally now playing to win and not just playing not to lose. If you're a potential political candidate and you're listening to the show, never play to not to lose. Always play to win. Like, like that right. was the biggest mistake that he's made to not really make a case for his candidacy and whoever gave that him that advice needs to be fired immediately. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, let's move on last but not least to Mr. Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, I think, uh, it's been a long time coming, but I think, uh, Sanders acted like he was the, the lead contender in this debate. Um, you know, People took shots at him. He responded pretty well to all of them. Uh, you know, he knew he was going to take some hits. He was ready for it. He was well prepared for it. Um, he knew he was in a friendly crowd, he, so he was going to get um, a very, very warm reception when he was there. New Hampshire's always been a really good state for him. It was last year. It will be this year. Um, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how he does in South Carolina. It'll be very interesting to see how he does in Nevada as well, in another caucus state. But, you know, um, I'm not the biggest Bernie Sanders fan. I don't like Bernie Sanders, but I think it's ludicrous to think that he's not the top. Uh, right now, he's not the leading candidate in this field. Uh, Mr. Bernard, Mr. Bernard Sanders, 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 Sanders. 
I don't personally like him, but, you know, obviously I would vote for him. I think you're right. Uh, he had a pretty solid debate. He didn't really change anything with his debate. He seemed to take attacks pretty well. He seemed to be ready overall. I mean, there was nothing that he didn't do anything wrong. He also didn't have a really memorable moment in my in my eyes that I like remembered. Like Biden had the Colonel Vindman stand up. Klobuchar had her ending statement. Pete had a you know a memorable bad thing that happened to him. But here's the thing for Bernie. So Bernie may end up being the nominee or being almost very competitive or maybe just shy of the votes when, when all the primaries are done. But how does Bernie get these people who are uncomfortable about him into his, into his home, right? You have a number of Democrats who are uncomfortable about Bernie. They're, they're mm-hmm. not sure about Bernie. And I think those are valid concerns. And the campaign, whether it's a VP pick or something else, the campaign needs to really quell those concerns somehow, just how Obama did with the concerns about him as well. Like, he needs to figure out how does he expand to unite the Democratic Party at this point, because it's very clear that he's got momentum. Um, and how does he bring those moderates who vote for Pete or who vote for Biden or Amy into the fold and make them comfortable about him while going out and having a strong national message? It's not an easy thing to figure out, but he needs to do that in these debates. I mean, he's he's talking about he has good debates, but I think he's just missing one last thing about, like, vote for me and I can help you. Like, don't be scared. Right. Like, join me. Right. Feel this hope. Like, he's missing that, right. that emotional connection. Yeah. yeah, he absolutely is. And, you know, it's, it's, it's worrisome because, you know, but, uh, Bernie is not a lot of people's first choice. I think a lot of moderate Democrats don't like him. And when I'm looking for him to say something like, like, uh, you know, there's a question, I think like, how are you going to ease people's concerns about you being a democratic socialist or, you know, you being this or that. And I'm like, okay, here's a chance for Bernie to kind of fill me with some hope to take away some anxiety. And he goes, people are going to support me because, they want a revolution and we're going to make pharmaceutical companies pay more. It's like, no, Bernie, you're saying the same stuff over and over again. It's like, don't do that. It's like, you don't have to like, give me something to hope, you know, give me, give me reason to, to, to vote for you. And he says, well, people are going to vote for me because I want a, a revolution and we're going to, you know, take on the pharmaceutical companies. It's like, no, it's the same stuff I was carrying in 2016. So he needs that moment. He needs a moment of, basically like you said to ease people's concerns yeah not not everyone wants the entire revolution they may want a bit of a revolution but yeah i mean we should be campaign managers we should be messaging managers like bernie needs to ask moderates for their support and he needs to figure out a way how he's going to do that end of story yeah all right so the last part of what has been a very long but very in-depth uh, entree that we'll go through quickly here is the New Hampshire predictions, how each candidate is going to do. Um, and then, and he'll, I think what we'll do is I will give you, what, you know, who's going to be first, second, third, fourth. You can just chime in whether you agree. Um, Hills, do we agree that uh, Bernie Sanders is going to win New Hampshire? I agree with you, 100%. Okay. I think Pete Buttigieg will come in second in New Hampshire. I agree. I think Biden's going to be a very, uh, it's going to be a very close third. Oh, sorry, it's going to be third, and then Warren will be a very close fourth. Hmm. 
I want to agree with you, but I think <laughs> <laughs> I I'm really nervous about Biden because I'm not sure if the Klobu surge will will help or hurt him. I honestly think, um, boy, I don't really know. I think Warren's still going to be in third. Biden and okay, so Klobuchar will be tied for fourth. Will be tied for fourth. Yep, wow. Yep. I had I had Klobuchar in fifth, and then I had Yang in uh, sixth and Steyer in seventh. Yeah, I don't think Steyer did much in New Hampshire, so I think he's going to come in last again. Wow, okay, so that is what to watch out for on Tuesday, is where is that Biden-Warren-Klobuchar trio? Yeah, how high does Bernie get? You know, how high does does he get more than 26%? Does he get up to 30? Yeah, yeah, and and how close is Pete to Bernie? Is it a 24-22 thing, which is a great win for Pete? You know? Does Pete surprise everyone and come out with a win? You know, does Biden decide to drop out? I mean, oh my you know, God. there are just all, the, all these questions that will hopefully be answered on Tuesday. But that was your entree. And we've got a, a nice side dish coming up for you next. Okay. So hopefully you have digested your entree. Um, you know, it's one of those dinners where your uncle just keeps on talking. So hopefully... You found it uh, informative. And now we have a little side dish. Um, so the way the side dish works is Hills and I are going to alter- – we alternate e- each week about who explains something. And that person decides if this should stay on the menu or if it should uh, be gone. So it is my turn. And I'm going to explain caucuses. I'm going to explain a little bit how a caucus works. And then Hills is going to tell me whether he wants to see more caucuses or fewer ones. So Hills, I want you to start the clock for three minutes and uh, let me know when I should start. Okay. You should start in three, two, one. Go. All right. So a caucus versus a primary. A primary is basically you go to your polling place and you choose one of your candidates and that's it. You go home. Okay. And at the end, they give you the results. A caucus, however, is... uh, Late at night, you go to, you know, your high school gym or maybe a church or, you know, a friend's house or something, and they divide it into different sections. You have the Bernie section, you have a Warren section, you have a Buttigieg section, a Biden section, et cetera, et cetera. And then they count up how many people are there, and then your candidate has to hit 15%. So they have to be viable, meaning if they have 15%, then you make it through to the next round. If you don't, and oftentimes lots of candidates don't, um, then uh, your candidate is no longer viable and you have to choose a backup. Who is your second choice? And you have people from all the different uh, campaigns coming to you saying, hey, you should come over here. You should join our campaign. You should join our campaign, right? And then that, and that's called you know, the first or the second realignment. It's called a realignment when that happens. And you have like 10 minutes or so to do that. And then they come around a second time. And they say, okay, so now we've got, you know, you know, let's just say Klobuchar was not viable this time. You know, five of her supporters went to, went, went to Pete, 20 went to Biden, and one went to Warren, right? And then they'll go again. They'll say, okay, now we're going to count up again. And they count up and they count up again. And then based off of that, they give, uh, they report who, uh, how, how many delegates each candidate is is getting. I should also mention in the realignment, 
right? If you don't want any of the candidates left, you can go home. You are allowed to leave, right? But uh, most people don't. Most people usually have a second choice. So that's based, that's the basics for how a caucus works. It's super confusing. It takes forever, but that is kind of how it works. And I'm done. Okay, you are. You have plenty of time. Well, actually, you you had forty five seconds left. So Ooh, okay, boy. So I hope uh, that was a really good explanation of a caucus, and it was really confusing in light of because caucuses are confusing, not because you did a poor job at that. Um, I want. I have so many. I have a decision to make, and I want the least amount of caucuses ever. <laughs> Wow. So Hills is very anti-caucus. I am so anti-caucus, and it's because it's outdated. It was meant for a different time of the world when the West was more, it was a different type of, you know, place. People came and they argued and they talked about what they liked and what they didn't like. But right now we live in a modern age. We have technology that can help us. It's very hard on families. It's very time intensive. Mm -hmm. Clearly there are some errors to show even just a little bit more data. And we have alternatives like ranked choice voting, which do the same thing. So I'm going to say no more caucuses, please. Replace them with ranked choice caucuses. That's fine, but no more caucuses. All right. You've heard it here. Uh, Hills is very anti-caucus. He wants all the caucuses to die in a fiery death. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's his word. So I'm, I'm, very, I'm very weak on caucuses. Very strong on primaries. <laughs> very strong. Well, Hills, you get to go to the uh, American Samoas and tell them why they can't caucus anymore. Okay. Well, I, not them. They're they're fine. But <laughs> Iowa, I, we need to take the caucus away from Iowa. They they don't deserve it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa, you you you've lost your pri- privileges. You get them back when you when you show that you can be a, a responsible state again. Yeah. Or you get back something else, a new toy for you. <laughs> a new toy. Um, um, well, uh, <laughs> Iowa, instead of having your ball in the cup, we're going to introduce you to a cell phone. So. <laughs> you get you get a Nokia cell phone instead of uh, <laughs> your ball in a cup. Well, you've you've waited all episode for this. Uh, who are the VPs going to be? Do you know? We might know. And uh, you get to find out. The fun moment everyone's been waiting for. Uh, the dessert, we will go through each of the eight candidates and select who we think our VP choice will be for them. This honestly, you know, we, we were just predicting what type of candidate each of, these, uh, each of these folks will pick. And we picked the major candidates that were on the debate stage and Bloomberg because he is something that uh, he is someone that you don't want to sleep on. We're going to start with Yang, Mr. Andrew Yang. I think Andrew Yang, if he is a nominee, he's going to choose someone so out of left field. He's going to choose someone like Elon Musk or Mark Cuban. He's just going to be the disruptor candidate. He's just going to choose someone that is not a typical politician uh, because I don't think I don't think he would get along with the VP who's a typical politician, and I don't think they would like him either. So he's going to choose someone who isn't one. And Josh? Interesting. I have the exact opposite. I think Andrew Yang has no experience in politics whatsoever. I think about Trump, who has no experience in politics. And Trump went with a very, in his view, a very stable, seasoned politician, someone like Mike Pence. I think he goes with someone who's been in politics for a long time, 
I think he might go with with a Warren to attract that that crowd. I mean, call me crazy, but what if he chooses Biden? I don't know if Biden's going to do VP again. I think he's done with he, that. He, he probably won't. But hey, you never know. You never know. You do never know. So Biden can be VP. Andrew Yang can resign and Biden can be <laughs> There you go. There we go. Tom Steyer. So Tom Steyer, he is an old white man who is very rich. So he's going to have someone, I think he's going to choose a more conventional candidate. I think he could choose Cory Booker, uh, a young black man. Um, could be a good contrast for him and get out the black vote for him. I think he could also choose a Warren type candidate for people who are concerned that his billionaire, to, he's pretty progressive, mm-hmm. but I think he could choose another progressive just to like hammer at home that to get people out to vote for him. I don't know. Uh, those were the types, two types of people I was thinking about. Yeah. I think he is going to 1000% choose an African-American candidate uh, to run with him because Tom Steyer desperately wants that African-American vote. I think Booker's a good shout-out. I think Kamala Harris is a good shout. I think Stacey Abrams could make some noise for him. But Steyer is going to choose someone that I think is uh, younger and is African-American. So I think uh, that's the field for him. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, Warren is up next. I think Warren could choose Julian Castro. Julian Castro, remember him? Uh, he endorsed Warren, so I think they were testing that out a little bit on the trail. I think he, she could choose Booker, you know, again, ca- uh, progressive uh, black man. Stacey Abrams, oh, I wish she was governor because she would be the perfect VP running mate. Um, you know, very intelligent, very charismatic uh, black woman from Georgia um, who should have been governor of Georgia, to be honest with you. I think she's got a ton of choices. I don't know if she's going to choose a moderate per se, but I don't know what moderate she would choose that she would enjoy having on her ticket. Yeah, I think I think Julian Castro is a great shout out for her. He's young. He's uh, Latino. Um, he endorsed her pretty much right away. I think she has to choose a moderate. Don't be surprised if she chooses Amy Klobuchar. Um, I think that could be Ooh. a good shout out for her. It's someone who's Midwest. It's all f- female ticket. She and uh, Warren have seemed to kind of be buddy-buddy a little bit, saying like the only people who have won in the last 25 years and beaten a man is you know me and Amy. Uh, she's worked with Amy in, in, in the Senate. Don't sleep on a Warren Klobuchar t- uh, ticket if Warren ends up being the nominee. That's a good point. That's a, I mean, she's got to get the black vote or so. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Klobuchar. Uh, I didn't really know who Klobuchar would pick. Maybe a progressive, but I, she's not going to pick Bernie. And I, she could pick Warren, but I think she's going to have trouble with Hispanics and, and black voters if she wins. So I was thinking even maybe Beto. Beto could be a good contrast with Klobuchar. I don't want to just keep saying Booker because I don't know if I don't know who I don't know enough about her to see who she would she would choose someone with experience, but you know she needs to choose someone that progressives are going to be happy about. So there's only so many choices there. Right. So I I did think Warren, um, just you know because I thought Klobuchar for her. Uh, another one I think is Kamala Harris. I think Kamala Harris brings you know excites that that African American base for her. Um, you know. I think Klobuchar is very much on the, you know, female power and, you know, it takes a woman to beat Trump and uh, Kamala Harris is very intelligent, brings, you know, brings in that, that West vote. Um, 
and brings in the and excites the African American population. So a Klobuchar Harris ticket could be very very good for her. Yeah, no, I, I didn't even think of Kamala, but you're right. Uh, you're very right on that. Pete Buttigieg next up. Uh, I think he's going to choose. I think his first choice would be Booker or and then Kamala. Think about it. Booker is young. He's the politics of the future. Uh, he needs help with black voters. Uh, Kamala Harris, I know, is not loved by all black. I mean, they're not one voting block. They have opinion, <laughs> just like <laughs> everyone else in this country. But, you know, he needs he needs to have a way to have some representation on his ticket. And I think Booker or Kamala will be prime uh, for, for Pete. What about you? Yeah, no, I had the exact same thought. I, I thought Booker, uh, Kamala Harris, it's got to be someone... I mean, it, it really has to be a someone who is African American, just because he has to try and win that vote. As you said, Hills, they you know they all have to vote for him just because there's a black person on his ticket. But um, you know, I think I think it's got to be someone who's who is African American. Maybe Obama. Maybe Pete just calls Obama and says, uh, "Brock, time to get on." We'll touch on that uh, next. But Ooh, maybe it's maybe yes, it's Obama. Please. Little Buttigieg Obama. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Please. Uh, it could be Michelle Obama too. Any hey, Obama. Yeah. <laughs> Choose yeah. Sasha or Malia. Just somebody. Oh my God. Buttigieg Mich- oh, Michelle Obama. Oh, give me that, please. <laughs> oh, match made in heaven. Um, Mich- oh, you know what? Actually, can we- Michelle Obama could really be a VP pick. I think. Yeah. It's she very could be possible. on a list somewhere. Yes. Um, Biden is up next. So here's what I got for Biden. I'm going to give you a couple of different options we haven't talked about yet, um, including one that I'm going to give later. So I think I think his first choice was Stacey Abrams. I think he really likes Stacey Abrams. Uh, and I think another choice could be Harris. I've always said Harris could definitely be a running mate for Joe Biden. Jim Clyburn, he is the number three in the House of Representatives. He is a rep, uh, from South Carolina. Um, he's the most senior black leader in the House. I think he could be, um, it would be very old, so I'm not sure mm-hmm. he would choose that. Cedric Richmond, uh, he is a representative from New Orleans. He's from Louisiana. He is one of the co-chairs of the Biden campaign, I think. Um, he huh. is a young mid- or young to middle-aged uh, you know, black congressman. I think he you know, could really help with the black vote, although he's, they're not progressive. He's not super progressive. So, um, But those are some of the picks I think Biden can have. Hmm. I am going based off of what he said earlier. I think he 1,000% wants to choose a female candidate. I think he knows that he needs to bring in that suburban mom vote that went for Trump. So um, the four people that I think he chooses, as he said, uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Stacey Abrams, I think are at the very, very top of his list. I don't know why these people came to mind for him, but he mentioned uh, Jean Shaheen and Maggie ha- uh, Hassan Hassan um, uh, as potential people when he when he was thinking about uh, getting in. Um, uh, Jean Shaheen and Maggie Hassan are both uh, senators from New Hampshire. They're both older. I think Shaheen is 73 and ha- Hassan is 60, 61. So they're definitely older, but... Um, you know, New Hampshire is considered to be a swing state. It is very East Coast centric. So I think, you know, he needs to pick someone from the Midwest, from the West. I think a Biden-Harris ticket, as Hills has talked about, is his uh, dream ticket. 
So. Yeah, I, I, he's got options. He definitely has options, but I think I think you're right on that. Sanders, okay. Uh, Sanders has to choose someone younger. He's got to mm-hmm. choose someone a little bit moderate, but um, the moderate needs to actually want to work with him. Uh, it could be Amy Klobuchar, but I think he actually needs help with, with African-American voters too. So mm-hmm. one of the things I thought about was Beto. I think Beto could mm-hmm. be a really, I mean, not that he helps African-American voters, but he, you know, <laughs> he is a young guy. Anthony Fox. Anthony Fox, with two X's at the end of his name, was the former mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina. He also was the transportation secretary under Obama in his second term. So he is a young black leader who has been involved with the Obama administration. I actually don't know his stances on issues. I'm assuming they're, you know, in the middle of moderate progressive. But he, I think he could be a really good way of driving out African-American turnout. Um, having representation on his ticket and also showing that he is going to have someone who knows how to work in government with him on the ticket. Yeah. I think Anthony Fox, that is a, that is a really good pick. Hills. Dark Um, horse. Yeah. For, uh, for him, I I also think Beto is a very, very good bet. Um, no pun intended. Uh, you know, Klobuchar talked about, um, it would take some, some convincing, but I really think, that he should think about Pete Buttigieg because Sanders right now does does he actually does pretty well with younger African African Americans and Pete does well with young people as well. Pete is very very progressive. Whether Pete agrees to it or not is a completely different um, uh, answer. Uh, but uh, don't sleep on on him looking at Pete Buttigieg. So. Well, I don't sleep on Pete. Do not sleep on I I think it would need convincing too. Honestly. Oh, he, I don't he know. Would, he would definitely yeah. need some convincing. But, you know, if Pete is really all about, you know, just beating Trump and he sees a, a place for him to get some experience and maybe, you know, uh try to uh, you know, run again after Sanders, um, you know, that that that, that could be a, an option too. So, um, I, it could it could be a really good opportunity for him. I mean, to be VP. I mean, that launches his political career beyond doubt. Yeah. So, sure. I think I'd be interested to see a Sanders Pete pick, honestly. Yeah. So the last one we have is Bloomberg, and I was having a hard time picking <laughs> a running mate for Bloomberg Me because too. who knows what he's going to do? And I kind of thought about Anthony Fox again. Uh, think about it could be young, uh, you know, young black man on the ticket, uh, worked with, with Obama, someone that people are semi familiar with, none of the candidates on the stage, someone who brings actual depth to the ticket that Bloomberg does. So I was just trying to think, and I actually don't know. I mean, he could choose someone we haven't even thought about because, you know, who knows? He, he's, I'm sure, assuming he's thinking about this too. Yeah. Um, I actually went with like someone. I kind of, I left field. I went with the Elon Musk route because um, they're both businessmen, but Bloomberg actually has experience, uh, you know, uh, being in politics. I think he's going to choose someone who is unconventional um, and younger than him. So don't be surprised if he goes with that Yang gang. <laughs> uh, I would be super surprised if he went with the Yang gang. I mean, but, you know, it could happen. It could happen. Uh, 
that would be a ticket to remember. Bloomberg Yang, <laughs> the, probably the most one of the most diverse tickets other than Obama uh, out there. I mean, you have a yeah. older Jewish man and a young <laughs> and a young uh, Asian man. So, boy, yeah. that would be something to see. Yeah. So, I mean, I really don't know with Bloomberg. It's I think he's going to pick someone very unconventional. It's about as in depth as I can get. So. Well, we may we might not we may or may not see the day that happens if he it's true. Do not sleep on Bloomberg again. Do not sleep on Bloomberg. He is out to win this thing, and he is organizing everywhere. Yep, it's very very true. Along with Bloomberg, hopefully you didn't sleep on our pre dinner shot because the answer is coming up next. <laughs> Okay, so here is your pre-dinner shot answer. You've been patiently waiting the whole debate. You said, just hurry up and tell me about Obama. The question was, could Barack Obama be on the ticket for the 2020 Dem nominee? Because Obama has already been president twice, so is he allowed to be on the ticket? And the short answer is yes. Uh, The 22nd Amendment says, and I quote, No person shall be elected to the office of the president more than twice, and no person who has held the office of president or acted as president for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president shall be elected to the office of the president more than once. So it's complicated. The short answer is yes. He is allowed to be on the ticket. If, let's say, you know, Pete Buttigieg talks to Barack and says, Barack, i got to have you on the ticket. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. And Obama says yes. And we have a Buttigieg-Obama ticket, right? And let's say Buttigieg wins, okay? And let's say, you know, turns out Mayor Pete is rampant with with corruption. And, uh, you know, gets oh, impeached. Oh, no. I know. It's, it's, it's devastating. Let's say he you – know, let's make it happier. Let's say he decides to just resign because he wants to go spend more time in South Bend. If he were to resign – then Obama would take over. The key here is that Obama is not allowed to run again in 2024 because he's already held office for more than two terms. So we we can get Obama back in the White House. It has to be as a VP because he's not being elected. You're, You're voting for the presidential candidates and Obama comes along for the ride. However, if that presidential candidate were to leave for any reason, right, and we get Obama for even if it's for six months, he is not allowed to return back because then he would officially be running again. So that makes sense. That's your answer. So we should put Obama on the ticket ASAP. That's what you're saying. Basically what I'm saying is someone needs to choose Obama as their, as their VP because you're allowed to do it and it would drive Trump crazy. Uh, and Obama needs to say, please sign me up. He needs to... <laughs> ASAP. We need and, we need Obama back in our lives so quickly. And Obama needs to say, "Fired up, ready to go." Oh, he he would just start saying "fired up," and I'd scream, "Ready to go!" <laughs> and he would say, "Don't boo, vote, vote." And hills would instantly explode. <laughs> I would explode into a bunch of ballots, into a bunch of voter <laughs> ballots. Oh man, please give me a fired up. I can't wait till Obama goes out. Uh, with whoever the nominee is, and he's at this big rally. People are really excited, and he says, fired up, 
and everyone just is ready, ready to, go. to go. Oh my god, <laughs> they need a new chant like that. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So there you go. That's how you get Obama back on the ticket. Fired up and ready to go. Uh, well, that was a great question, Josh. Thank you for that. And we're at the end of our episode. Uh, and before you go, a couple of things for you. The intro and the outro music is by Brett Hillsberg. If you enjoy the podcast and you're listening and you're not subscribed, please subscribe in your pod- wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, just easy subscribe. Get your episodes straight into your feed when we publish them. Uh, tell your friends to listen. If you have one friend you could tell to listen to this and take a shot on three-course politics, please do. It's super helpful. And if you want to share on your Facebook, on your Twitter, over email, please share it. We would love for you to share it. Uh, if you want to donate, you can go to the info section on our episode, the show notes. It has a link if you are feeling so generous. And if you have any questions about anything we've talked about or anything we haven't talked about, please email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Josh, you have anything else you want to say? No. Uh, it's a great episode. Uh, thank you to all our supporters who listen. And uh, we'll be back in your podcast feed soon. Thank you all. Bye, everybody. Bye.